Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I'm honored to be here. I've been in this church over many, many years. I used to come here when I had black hair and a mustache looking like Magnum P.I. It's when I led a thing called Youth Alive. You remember that? Youth Alive had, had rallies across the nation last night, and I was seeing some things come up. There were rallies where hundreds of kids are coming to Jesus. It's really, really cool. I got interviewed a little while ago about Youth Alive, and they said, what's the best thing about Youth Alive? I said, they're still on the mission of changing Australia for Jesus, and I love it. And so if you were there and you're praying for them and sowing into it, then God bless you. It's really cool. But I used to come here and preach in this church. They used to, I used to preach... The stage might have been back here and they had all these people sitting on thrones behind me. You have no idea what that did to a young preacher. I used to get up and say, come now, Jesus, come now before I have to stand up. He didn't and we're still here. So uh, let's get on with the job. Amen. We're going to look today at an important passage of scripture. I want to just overlay it with this big thought. Martin Luther made this comment. It resonates in my heart. He said, there are only two days that really matter. This day and that day. See, what we do in this day will one day be rewarded on that day. And I want to make my life count, don't you? You get one walk on the planet, so let's make it count. It goes, it goes like that. As I said, I used to stand here with black hair leading youth alive. I'm now here with white hair leading barely alive. It goes like that. <laughs> James right? he said, he said, you're... Your life's like a vapor. Some of you boil the kettle today and you watch the steam come out. That's your life. You see it and it's gone. My father and I and my oldest son and I have the same age gap, 30 years. And I stood with both of them. I was in the middle and they stood one on either side of me at a men's event not so many years ago. And I remember looking at my son and I thought, wow. Yesterday I was you. And then I looked the other side. And tomorrow I'm you. Right? And this church is in the middle of a prophetic moment. And I'm incredibly honoured to be here, but I want to actually overlay this prophetic moment for the whole church and remind you that you are the church and God is calling you to step in the thing that he's doing. My job today is not to adjust or correct anything, but really just laminate what God is already beginning to do in this place. This is a new day for Numa Church. I thank God for your church. I thank God for your legacy. My church in Brisbane is almost like on a parallel track to you. We've been around for decades, almost a century. God has done some incredible things, but the Lord woke me up at a crazy hour this morning, and this is the word I couldn't escape. Everything that's old is new again. Your passion for the lost, your reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit, your hunger for missions and church planning, everything that's old is new again. The Lord's saying, behold, I'm doing a new thing. He might be using different methods and models, but he's still got one big heart, one big plan, and that's to raise a church, which is his only plan for the planet, to make a difference across the globe. So let's look at Luke chapter 19. 
It's an incredible story. It's, there's so many layers to it, but let's just look at a couple of aspects today and may God speak to our hearts as we do. Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There are some towns you don't really want to stop in. Just keep going. I've been to Jericho. I know why he was going just keep going. It's not that great. And there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. How many call him Zacchaeus? You have the right to be wrong. <laughs> I'm from Queensland. We put the emphasis on the first syllable. And so his name is Zacchaeus. And he was, this is what the Bible tells us about Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Jesus is heading to and through Jericho. And he meets this man called Zacchaeus. Luke, the good doctor who is given to detail, tells us a number of things about him. The first thing he tells us is that he was a chief tax collector. Tax collectors in that day were despised. The people hated them. They were in partnership with the Romans. They were crooked. They were ripping people off. In fact, they were seen as, as so offensive, they weren't even allowed to attend what we would call church. They were barred from the temple and the synagogue. You know what amazes me about that thought? When he was born, he, his parents looked at him and they said, and you shall be called Zacchaeus. How many of you know what your name means? I do. When I was born, my parents looked at me and said, and he shall be called Wayne. <laughs> Wayne. You know what it means? Wagon maker. Profound, changed my life really. He shall be called Wagon Maker. When, when Zacchaeus was born, his parents said, This little baby, and because let me tell you, back in Bible days, names were really a prophecy about who they were and what they'd do. And they looked at him and said, You'll be called Zacchaeus. You know what Zacchaeus means? Pure and innocent. But now, pure and innocent is not allowed in the presence of God, not allowed to be with the people of God. He's now seen as vile and offensive. You have to ask one question. What happened to pure and innocent? What shaped him? What affected him? What happened in his heart? We don't really know the answer to that, but we know where it ended up. Second thing that our friend Luke tells us about, us, about Zacchaeus is he was rich. Now, his wealth obviously didn't satisfy. Billy Graham says that every human has a God-shaped hole and nobody, nobody and no thing can fill it except God. Zacchaeus knew that. The Bible says he had wealth. He, anything he wanted, he could buy, but it didn't satisfy. You know people like that. They seem to have everything and yet they've got nothing. I was speaking at a, at a business seminar a few years ago, and, and the host of this event, it wasn't a Christian event, I was just there doing my thing on leadership, and, and as I was walking out, my host and I walked past a vehicle, which I actually like fine machinery, and I looked at this car and I thought, that's impressive. And he said, yeah, it's mine. I thought, wow, 
and I didn't mean to say it, but it came out. I said, that would have cost a lot. And he said, yeah, three marriages. You see, there's some people that look to have wealth, but they're spiritually bankrupt. That was Zacchaeus. But we know one other thing. He wanted to see Jesus. See, we, we can look at people and we can make assumptions. Right now, every time you turn on the news, every, every basic rumor that buzzes around this country, we're told Australia is a secular nation and people are turned off to God. Let me tell you something. There's a God awareness. There's a God hunger. They can't quite put their hand on it. They can't quite uh, identify how, how to move forward on it. But there's a cry of the human heart. When I was a little boy in our church, see, you, you're called Numa. used to be Bridge, and before that, you were Richmond Temple. Well, let me tell you something, Richmond Temple. I pastored a church called Hope Center, which used to be Brisbane City Church, but before that, it was Glad Tidings Tabernacle, the one true church. And when I was a little boy, I went to that church for a couple of years, and I remember there was one particular kids' ministry uh, presentation that I had to play a little part in, and I stepped up. We had one of those pulpits, pulpits that you had to step up into, and it was like a chariot. You stood in it. And I remember looking down at the area where the preachers put their notes in their Bible and across the timber it was carved into it from John chapter 12. It's when people came to the disciples and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. We don't, we don't, we don't know everything about him, but our heart tells us that that's the answer to the cry of the inner man. He was wealthy. But here's the big thought. He was short. He was short. How many know that crowds are a real problem for people who are vertically challenged? It's just a problem. And, and let me tell you, it's not your fault you're short. It's just a problem. It's not a problem until you've got some big so-and-so standing in front of you. And you're... And you, you can't see. He, he was short. I had, a, I had one of the guys in, in our drug and alcohol rehab uh, facility a few years ago, and they said to me, Pastor Wayne, Jeff over there? I said, yeah. He said, he's doing well, isn't he? I said, yeah, but he's so short you can see his feet in his passport photo. That's short. That's Zacchaeus. He was, he was short. And, and he, he, he somehow, he, this is amazing. He couldn't get to God because they locked him out of church. But God was coming to him down the street and he, he wanted to meet him. And he, but he couldn't. So he came up with a plan. You know what his plan was? He climbed a tree. It was one of these, a sycamore fig tree. He climbed that tree and all of a sudden, his limitations, all of the things that prevented him from engaging with God were dealt with because of that tree. Read on, verse 5. When Jesus came to the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. We won't even talk about what people wear in Middle East. And, uh, anyway, we'll move on right now. Zacchaeus, get down immediately. I must come to your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly and all the people, I, I don't want to be one of these people. All the people that saw this began to mutter. Say mutter. See, you even, you even screwed your face up. I do when I say mutter. 
There's some words that you smile when you say, but when you say mutter, you're like you've drunk lemon juice. Mutter. You know, you, I used to hear, you don't hear it anymore. You never hear it at Numa Church. But people say, everybody's saying, I did, some, I did a survey, Pastor Corey, on, it, on that word everybody. Everybody is saying, it's usually no more than four and they all have the same surname. Not everybody's saying. Not everybody's saying. But, but the, everybody began to mutter. And this is what they said. Listen, you, they, they've got an eyebrow up. He's gone to be a guest of a sinner. Now, they thought they were making an accusation. They thought they were criticising. Jesus thought they were complimenting him. You see, he, he, he came to seek and save that which was lost. He actually came to be a friend of sinners. You know the big problem with the modern church? Is most Christians aren't friends with sinners. We're just friends with Christians. But God's doing a work in our hearts. He's reminding us of the value of a human heart. He's reminding God's got me. God is doing such a work in my heart at the moment. You come to Hope Center, there's these three words on our buildings, on our screens. It says this because people matter. It's not a sentence, it's not a motto. I had a very senior politician in church not so long ago, and he thought, I like your logo. He said, It's not a logo, it's not a slogan, it's a reason. It's an answer to every question. Why do you do what you do for the poor? Why do you do what you do for kids in schools? Why do you do what you do in university? Answer, because people matter. They matter to God, so they have to matter to us. Someone say amen. Amen. They're muttering. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, hello, work for the tax office. I'm talking 2,000 years ago, people. ATO, we salute you and thank God for you. And, and everybody again said, amen. <laughs> Serious. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today, salvation's come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, through his mission, he came to seek and save the lost. The start of this year, the Lord spoke to me in my own personal devotion life. And this was the word, just read the Gospels in 2022. So this is, this is my devotion life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'm walking with Jesus in 2022. And we're in Luke chapter 19, but if we roll the clock back just four chapters to Luke 15, you would see how much lost things matter to him. Because the whole chapter is just a narrative of lost things. A lost sheep, one in a hundred. A lost coin, one in ten. A lost son, one in two. Here's the deal. Ratios don't matter. It's simply this. If they're lost, they've got to be found. If they've wandered from the father's house, they have to be brought home. And he encountered Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. Jesus saw him, the Bible says. 
It, it, it changed everything. When, you know one of the things the Lord's doing to his people right now? He's opening their eyes. Lift up your eyes and see. I think the church for a long time we've looked but we haven't seen. And this is what the Lord is doing to our heart. He's arresting us. And he's bringing us back to an awareness of what matters to him. For God so loved the world. This is what he spoke to my heart only yesterday. If you love me, love the things I love. For God so loved the world. And, and, and Jesus is, is walking through Jericho. And, and most people in every day of every week, of every year of Zacchaeus' life, every time they saw him, they'd look away. They'd look down. But the Son of God came. What did he do? He looked at him. He saw him. And in seeing him, things shifted in Zacchaeus' heart. Finally, someone's looking and seeing me. And in doing that, he gave him dignity. And opened his heart for a kingdom encounter. And the miracles that flowed out of that were amazing. The miracle worker stepped into his life. We, we um, just had a couple of weeks ago, I'm sure you've had recently, water baptismal services. As a pastor, water baptismal services, that's grand final day. Make sense of everything we do. Of the pain and the price and the stuff. No email, no phone call, no late, no, doesn't matter. I stood beside one of my team just, just over Easter on Resurrection Sunday. How good is Resurrection Sunday? Hey, he is not here for he is risen. And we love to do, baptize people on water baptism uh, on, on Resurrection Sunday and, and watch people come in. It's, water baptism on Resurrection Sunday is show and tell. It's the gospel in one dip. Amen? There's, not, there's nothing magic in the water, but there's something powerful in obedience and something graphic in the illustration. He, the Bible says we're buried with Jesus in baptism and we're risen again to life through the power of the resurrection. Unbelievable. And I nudged one of my young pastors and I said, see this? Makes sense of everything we do. That's why we do what we do. There's a, a missiologist. His name is Ralph Winter. This is what he said. Until the future of the church matters more to the church than the future of the, of the church, the, world, the church has no future. Until the future of the world matters more to the church than the future of the church, the church has no future. We exist. We're the only organization that exists for people that haven't come yet. That's why we do what we do. And this man who was no doubt on the outside, he probably had the latest brand names, the latest gear, but on the inside, broken up, hurting. He meets Jesus. And the only difference between him meeting Jesus and him not meeting Jesus, the only thing, the only factor in this story of him meeting Jesus when he could have missed him was a tree. Was a tree. I'm, I'm more in love with this book than I've ever been before. And there's all sorts of reasons. God's just doing a work of renewal in my own life and bringing me back to engagement with the book. But, but there's some simple little principles that I'd actually like to give you that actually will help you make reading this come alive. Are you ready? 
Don't read words. See the movie. See the picture. It's an incredible, it's the greatest story ever told. And and read it, read it slow and see the picture. Get the colour in there. And then, and then ask a question. Where am I? Like even this story we just read, where, where, where are you? Who are you standing with? The saviour or the mutterers? Where, where, where am I? And then ask questions of the text. Maybe write the answers, journal. I, I ask questions all the time. I want to know. So I, I read the story of Zacchaeus and, and, and his encounter with Jesus and, and this tree. The tree made the difference. So I asked the question. It's a big one. Who planted the tree? I can give you the answer to that. You ready? We don't know. We don't know who it was. One of my young team one day said, it could have been a bird, Pastor Wayne. You know, they just drop seeds. I said, no, it wasn't. Because if you actually study those early days, you would, you would find that trees like sycamore fig trees were planted outside city walls so that people who were on journeys could come and find food and shelter on their journey. So they, these trees weren't there by accident. Somebody thought it through. They were strategic. They were intentionally planted so that somebody could be blessed in their journey. It wasn't an accident. We don't know who it was, but it had a profound effect. Could, could you, when you read this story, you, you ask the question, could you have ever imagined that that person would never have thought, but could they have ever imagined in their life that that, that tree would be the difference in somebody, a broken human, meeting the creator of the universe? And then could they have ever imagined what blessing would flow because of that? There was a domino effect of the kingdom of God. When this man met Jesus, he, he stepped into a state where he embraced justice. He said, you know something, if, I, if I've stolen anything, I'm going to return it four times. He realized that the poor mattered to the Lord. He said, in fact, I'm actually prepared to sell half my goods and I've got a feeling that would have been significant. I'm going to sell half my goods and give it away so that somebody can be helped. In the process, the kingdom of God advanced. All because of a tree. Wow. That, That person that planted that tree, that rolled up their sleeves and got their hands dirty, they could never have imagined that what they were doing in that moment would have such a profound effect that they would neutralise the limitations that would have prevented somebody meeting Jesus. Do you know there's a lot of people in your world that have got limitations? There's a lot of things that have stopped people meeting Jesus. Experiences that have damaged their perspectives on God. Perhaps... Some people, perhaps you today, my friend, were exposed to, to dead religion. Back in the day, in my early, early life, pre-pastoral and youth ministries, etc., I used to run immunization clinics. Don't hate me. 
And what we used to do is we'd inoculate children. We'd give them a little dose of the real thing or a synthetic version so they never caught the real thing. That's what dead religion does. Some people have experienced the inoculation of dead religion and said I, I, they think that's engagement with a living and loving God. It's not. It's rules and regulations and death. Jesus came that we would have life, but some people have been inoculated with religion and they shy away from the real thing. Other people, they were just born into situations, born into nations where the name of Jesus is hardly ever heard, born into homes where the name of Jesus is nothing more than a swear word. There are some ministries that Hope Center does that just stirs my heart. One of them is a program called Mimi's House. We, we, we go to schools and, and they give us for an entire year a cohort of children. These are from government schools. And we get given different days, different school for a whole year. We take children in their early to mid-primary school years, children that are falling through the system. Let me tell you about them. They're not dumb. Their life is just so chaotic Home is dysfunctional. Parents are, are addicted to this and that. And, and these kids, they, there's just no way they can study or think they're coming to school hungry. They, they, they're getting picked on because they're smelly. So we teach them dignity. We, we teach them more than writing and arithmetic. We, we teach them how to wash their clothes, how to deal with the nits in their hair, how to have decent nutrition and how to, how to go to school with food in your belly so you can actually think for the day. And some of those children, they, they come out the end of the year and they get student of the year. It's one of the most rewarding things we do. And by helping a child, we're helping and a whole family. But you know, when we first meet those kids, they haven't got a clue about the Bible stories. Noah, who's he play for? Essendon? They haven't got a clue. And we're able just to demonstrate the love of God. What about some of the nations that you're beginning to dream about? There are people that have never met Jesus. But we have an opportunity to help them meet him. Are you ready? It's not profound. We just have to plant more trees. Sow seeds. Do things. Roll up our sleeves. Pay a price. Invest so that people can meet Jesus. There's an academic by the name of Elton Trueblood. What a great name. Elton Trueblood. Listen to what he says. We've made a start on discovering the true meaning of life when we plant shade trees under which we know full well we will never sit. Legacy. Doing things today so that one day somebody can meet Jesus. And then because of that, on that day, he says, well done. Good and faithful servant. I'm meeting Christians all over the place that God's beginning to stir the heart. They said, you know what? I've been thinking that I'll I'll save up and save up for a rainy day, but I'm starting to wonder if it's ever going to rain. It's time for me to start investing in things that will live longer than me, to invest beyond myself, to begin to get an understanding of eternity. I, lo- I love what Solomon wrote in the, book of, in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says of our God, he makes all things beautiful in its time. And he has put, what? Eternity in our hearts. You know what God is doing right now? He's awakening the church beyond the first half of that statement. Yeah. 
He's made all things beautiful in his time. It is time we as a church stop just wanting him to do everything for me. Oh, I had a broken life, but it's now beautiful. My home was a mess, but it's now beautiful. I've got a career that's beautiful. Hey, that's wonderful. He does that so you can do this. He does that. He, he empowers you and he blesses you. Freely use, receive, so you can freely give. Freely he puts seed in your hand so you can plant trees. Why? So people can meet Jesus. So people can meet Jesus. I was being inspired as we were just being challenged around our giving. One of the things that's on Lynn's and my heart is, is we just want to live a big life with open hands and generous as much as we can be. Things we're putting in place right now. Because I have an absolute conviction there are some words that don't belong together. They just don't belong together. Christians are like this. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. So, some words, stingy Christian. That's like pickles on your ice cream. It doesn't fit. It's like Microsoft Works. No, it doesn't. Stingy Christian, it's wrong. No, no, no. We freely receive. Why? We've been given seed. Yes, God wants me to have a life that's blessed. There's nothing wrong with having a blessed life. There's only something wrong when my blessed life is all about me. Legacy. I'm motivated. Evangelism, mission, church planting. That's the word of the Lord. As I said, I haven't come here to say, Change what you're doing. I've come here to tell you as a church, keep on doing and just breathe on it, Holy Ghost. Yeah. Breathe on it so this could go. Because the world needs to know about the extravagant love of God. It just needs to know. I said earlier, our churches are very similar. The church that I lead now is called Hope Center. In 1930, the grandson of the founder of the Salvation Army... William Booth Clibben came to our city, the city of Brisbane, and he started a ministry. The Canvas Cathedral, it was called, as people from all over started meeting Jesus. He was particularly aiming at the poor and the, those who didn't fit in normal churches. I'm going to show you a photo of their first two years of our church. That's it, the Canvas Cathedral, Glad Tidings Tabernacle. And they met for two years. 1930 it was started. If any of you know Australia and Australian history, you'd know that in 1930 we were in the midst of the Great Depression. 30% unemployment rate. People are getting all agitated about five, six times. And William Booth Clibben began to preach the gospel, but he knew there was something more than what was happening in that moment. That is what God is calling us to, to live beyond the moment. Do things now for then. Do things now for then. Do things now for them and then. He began to prophesy. And those prophecies have actually been written down. And actually, I, I'm a custodian of the prophecies that are now 92 years old. They're in, a, they're in a safe in our church and prophecies about church planting and prophecies about mission and evangelism. One of the prophecies is we will build a church. We'll establish a structure that people could come and meet people and meet Jesus and, and change the world. And so they began to take up offerings. In there, there's a photo of a lady who was the musician for the preacher. 
I never met her, but I met her brother. His name was George. We buried George just a few years ago, but I remember one Sunday morning as I was calling our church to faith, to believe God for more as we establish facilities where we can reach more communities for Christ. George came and grabbed my hand. He said, oh, I love it when you talk faith. I said, oh. He was an old man by now, well into his 90s, and he's shaking my hand. He said, never, ever, ever apologize for calling people to live and give by faith. He says, I was in that tent. William Booth Clibbon would preach. They'd sing a song. He'd give an altar call. Then he'd take an offering. They'd take up an offering to buy bricks and timber so they could build the building. They didn't have enough. So they'd go and count it. They'd whisper him the number. He'd say, we're going to sing another song and take another offering. George said, I was in many Sunday services in that tent where they took at least four offerings on a Sunday. But I've got the, I've got the cornerstones of the, that building, which they built. It's this one. Next one. They built that and they opened it in 1932. Two years. This is incredible. When Australia was wrestling with the depression when unemployment was everywhere. God's people said, we've got to plant some trees. They built that building for cash in the Great Depression. Mind-blowing. And that, that facility served for well over 70 years. I get to go and Lynn comes with me and we go and we plant, uh, we go to a number of church building openings and, and most of the time I'm there, not because I'm the ACC leader, most of the time I'm there is because our church many, many years ago bought land, bought buildings, gave it away. Bought land, bought buildings, gave it away and they're everywhere. You know why? Because people planted seeds and planted trees back in those days so that they weren't encumbered by debt. People actually got kingdom stewardship and they were able to do so much. And now like countless, countless thousands of people have come to Christ because of what happened in a tent on that day. They built that. And then in the mid-2000s, somebody decided it would be a great idea to set that building on fire. And we had an arson attack. And we moved out of it and we were homeless for a little while. God blessed that church. And eventually we've been able to sell that and the proceeds of that sale is enabling us to do so many things. God's given us a plan for church planting and established sites, etc., etc., etc. And some of the things that have happened, that building's gone now. It's been demolished. We've sold it. We've been able to build and, and renovate buildings like that, keep them going. Just a whole lot of things like that. I'll show you the newest one we just opened right the day, two weeks before COVID happened is that one. Uh, 17 acres of land, $11 million facility. It's phenomenal. Why? I'll tell you why. We did that for cash. Because people in the Great Depression said, let's plant some trees. Let's plant some trees. Not being caught by fear and self-serving, but God was making things beautiful and he'd also put eternity in their hearts. I'm speaking to a moment in Numa Church. I said it earlier, everything that's old is new again. The mission of this church has never changed. Fashion does, hairstyles do. But God's heart doesn't. God's mandate doesn't. And you're on it. You're on it. You're on it. You're on it. Keep planting trees. Some of you say, well, I'll never go plant a church. No, but you can actually put seed so that we can plant more. Hear me. You can't take it with you. Let's send it on ahead. 
Let's send it on ahead in Jesus' name. Let's be praying for the tree planters. Let's do what we can to get our hands dirty and do something magnificent in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.